Last week, we began telling the story of the infamous Tylenol murders. Chicago was hit with a mysterious series of killings, and doctors, along with law enforcement, were all completely scrambling for answers to questions that the entire country was starting to ask. If you haven't listened to part one, go ahead and do that now, or you'll be totally confused. If you have, we are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Let's now begin in the Attorney General's office in Chicago. Now, we left off with everyone scrambling as the death count is rising. Attorney General Fawner was just putting together everyone at this point. State police, local law enforcement, chiefs of police, the director of Illinois State Police, and like I said, the FBI. So, is getting real. Real, like, for real. So, like, at this point, they're all starting to think, like, how big is this actually? Like, is this not just gonna be in Illinois? To refresh your memory, Paula Prince was just found dead. She was the flight attendant for United... Um, her sister was supposed to meet her for dinner, and she hadn't been answering her phone. It kind of alerted her that something was not right, so when she didn't show up for her flight that she was due back for on Friday, they went into true panic. No one in her family could reach her at this point, so they called the Chicago police to do a wellness check. The police enter her apartment and find her in the doorway of her bathroom. The Tylenol bottle was still sitting open on the vanity. She had taken the Tylenol in the bathroom and didn't even make it through the door before it killed her. I mean, I'm pretty sure we touched on this last week, but that just goes to show how much was packed in these pills. Exactly. Like, I think that the, I don't know if I said it last week or if, you know, whatever, but it said that it was like a hundred to a thousand times over the limit that, that was needed to kill someone. So, like, first of all, 100 to 1,000, it's like, whoa, 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 that is such overkill. Because, like, some of them were, like, 100 times, some of them were 1,000 times. Like, that is absolutely crazy. But, like, I mean, I take, like, three Tylenol, and, like, it hits me immediately. It's like I'm I'm tranquilizing a horse at this point. Same. Like, I need three. So my But my thing is, like, for this medicine to impact them that fast is like I feel like when they saw that Paula Prince had just taken the Tylenol and then was at the doorway dead that is when they should have been like "Mm mm-hmm it's the Tylenol you know because that is just absolutely crazy I agree um anyway the medical examiner said to Chicago Mag she took them on Wednesday night and I remember thinking that she was dead by the time we went on television for our press conference So, I mean, I just thought to include that because I think it's a crazy thing to think about that, you know, these people are not sure what they have gotten into. Um, They don't know. They're making a press conference for, like, what they know at the time. But meanwhile, people are dying during their press conference for the things that they don't, like, even know are huge yet. I don't... For the things they're reporting on, and they don't even have all the information Exactly. From. And, like, they're scrambling to do the press conference as soon as possible to protect people, but little do they know that, like, you know, it's happening during, and it, I don't know, I just thought that was crazy. It is. So, knowing that Paula had gotten this Tylenol out of Walgreens, they look into it. 
they find that they are literally still photos of Paula Prince, like, walking to the checkout and buying the pills, but there are no security cameras in the aisles to see if anyone besides, like, a Walgreens employee had put that Tylenol there. The Janice family, you know, the if you remember the family that literally three people died from the same Tylenol, um, that was the first time in history that the medical examiner's office... Um, in the medical examiner's office that the toxicologist had to go in overnight and do an analysis. Um, and then when they found Paula Prince, he was called back to do that again. So, like, literally we are making history here and not the kind that's, like, endearing and good. Oh, like, this oh, is, like, yeah. a scary piece of history for Chicago, you know. I mean, And, and I'm and sure it's... for around the world, too, hearing about it. Exactly. I mean, and some people call this, like, the first known act of domestic terrorism in the United States because, really, I mean, can you think of anything before that? It's... None. None. Um, at this point, they pull all the Tylenol off the shelves in Chicago. And Mayor Byrne, the Chicago City Council, passes an ordinance requiring tamper-resistant packaging for all drugs sold in the stores. So, by this point, it's now Tuesday, October 5th, and Johnson & Johnson recalls all Tylenol products nationwide. That's 31 million bottles, which altogether are valued at what comes out to be over $100 million that they are just... I mean, I feel like we can stop saying this, but that's insane to me. Like, a major company at that time selling medicine for everyone. Right. And I'm pretty sure they were the highest go-to for painkillers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that they make up of, like, 35% of painkillers and, like... You don't you don't think thirty five percent is a big number, but if you think about how many painkillers are out there, and for them to make up thirty five percent of it, that is a lot chunk, you know. So, at this point, there are hundreds of people on the task, actively seeking leads and running leads. And in the words of Attorney General Fawner, they were getting a lot of wackos calling saying they did it. I just felt like I needed to mention that because I love a grown woman or man saying wacko. And seriously, deadpan. Fully on the news saying wacko. I just, I had to mention that. Um, There ended up being over 1,200 things that turned out to be leads. Not just the people calling, but actual things that they felt were worthy of just like going out and investigating. This all goes on for a couple of weeks. First, the top investigators looked into a series of people that Johnson & Johnson had terminated, like, kind of in hopes that, like, maybe an ex-employee was upset with them and then they could just, like, done deal it, you know? That seems like the easiest thing to look into. So, there was one that Detective Hogberg found interesting. Johnson & Johnson had a problem with their talcum powder. I guess, like, green mold had been growing in it, Uh and it was making people upset. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah, okay. You know, you put that on your baby's bottom. (laughs) You don't want green mold on it. Nasty. (laughs) And so the investigators took a look at that guy who was, or this guy that was, like, on the team that got terminated, and he seemed super sketchy to them at first, but ultimately they decided that it didn't seem like he had a, quote, axe to grind. I mean, the vocabulary here is amazing. (laughs) It's just, and these are real quotes, people. It's all from the Chicago Mag article. But 
All right. Then uh, a letter arrives at Johnson & Johnson. It's an absolutely bonkers letter, so I'm going to read the whole thing. But this is obviously the closest that they get to finding the killer. Um, the letter reads, Gentlemen, as you can see it, it is easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I have spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to bank account 84495970 at Continental Illinois Bank. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will under anything will undo anything you can possibly do. I mean, just, like, shut up. Like, absolutely crazy. So the FBI, like, gets this letter and looks into it and fingerprints on it lead them to this guy named James Lewis in New York City. And, like, yeah, so this is, like, the closest they've ever gotten to catching this guy. Obviously, alarm bells are going off now. And he is quickly moved to being the prime suspect for the case. Turns out, the bank account didn't belong to him. It belonged to a man who James Lewis believed owed his wife $511. Like, <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know, I he mean, just wanted the FBI to, like, find out about yeah. that. <laughs> On the one hand, what, like, an asshole to mess up their investigation, but also... How loyal. <laughs> like, he's fully like, hey, honey, don't sweat it. Yeah, I'm going to get the FBI involved. <laughs> like, I don't know. Why don't you just, like, call up the FBI and tell them that? Yeah, because I feel like that You has don't a have reason. to, like, frame yourself for murdering seven people <laughs> in a very weird, sketchy, obscure way. Um, just to, like, get your wife this, like, weirdo gift. Yeah. I don't, like... Report it. Report happy it. Valentine's Day. Um... No, but, so they, instead, the FBI finds out about that, and they're like, um, excuse me, you little prick, you can go to jail for 30 years now. Like, Good. get out. Bye. Loyalty gets you present. <laughs> but, like, so the reason they took this guy seriously in the first place was because when he was young, he supposedly chased his mom with an axe. Just picture okay. it. Just picture it. I mean, I, I, that's it's so out of context. It's, I'm like, I just want to know what happened after that, but there, I can, I, there's not that much. Anyway, um, in 1966, he took 36 Anison pills and then was diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia and admitted to a state mental hospital. Later, he tried to say that it was because he was, like, dodging the Vietnam draft, which I'm like, oh. okay, this guy is dramatic. <laughs> like, he is just doing the most for the just least amount of, like... Payoff. Exactly. He gains like, nothing from he's this. He's doing way too much for such a little thing in return. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um... So, yeah, and he also was charged and acquitted for a murder of a man who was found dismembered in his home in the summer of 1978. So that's also kind of alarming. And I'm yeah. sure the FBI was like, yep, let's like keep him on our radar. Um, after that, um, James and his wife launched a business venture. And then he was like suspected of falsifying credit card info and addresses and whatnot. And so the police put out a warrant for his arrest. Naturally. 
because of the warrant for his arrest, him and his wife changed their names and moved to Chicago. Exactly. And that lasted about a year, right around the time of the killings. But they actually bought Amtrak tickets from Chicago to New York City 25 days before the killings began. So this ultimately kind of sort of ruled him out because they thought that the pills had to be like tampered with in the store um, because the cyanide was would have been so strong that it would actually like eat through the pills eventually. So it couldn't just like sit on the shelves for 25 days or anything like that, which is a crazy thought because it's hard to think about the fact that the person who did it got so lucky with all these people buying the exact tampered bottles at the perfect times. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. So, Attorney General Fawner still thinks that James Lewis was involved somehow. But, you know, at the end of the day, they can never put him in the city and the places at the right time. So, nothing really came of that. Um, In 1995, after serving 13 years of a 20-year sentence for extortion, Lewis was released from prison. Today, he lives on the East Coast somewhere. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Not near me. Uh, yeah. Um, another name that popped up in the investigation is Ted Kaczynski. This may ring some bells for you, as Ted Kaczynski is the infamous Unabomber. For those of you who don't know, starting in 1978 and over the course of 20 years, he killed three people and injured 23 more with these, like, strange homemade bombs that he would just, like, mail out. Um... Ted was considered a genius at a young age, and he entered Harvard at 16 on a scholarship. He earned a doctorate from the University of Michigan and took a teaching position at Berkeley. He would only last two years there before moving to Montana in a cabin by himself where he would grow his own food and began constructing an anti-technology, anti-government philosophy. Um, in 1995, Kaczynski sent a 35,000-word manifesto to various news outlets saying he would blow up a plane if his manifesto was not published. That is 35,000 words too many. Too, too, <laughs> too many. many. Um, so it ultimately was the move that finally got him caught because his sister-in-law recognized the letter as having, like, possibly been written by him, and she and Ted's brother went, um, Ted's brother David went to the FBI. Kaczynski was convicted in January 1998 and is currently serving life in prison. The thing about Ted is that all of the people that he sent bombs to were absolutely random. Yeah, I remember reading about this case, and he was just against anyone who was for technology. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, the reason why he went so untraced for so long is because he didn't really have any ties to any of these people. So, you know, it's completely impossible, basically. To trace it back to to him. Exactly. So, the reason we're talking about him, Ted was from Illinois, and his first bomb was found in Chicago, where he lived at the time. Obviously, all the Tylenol murders were talked about. Obviously, all the Tylenol murders that we talked about happened in Chicago. However, there actually was one more that is not officially connected. The cyanide poisoning with extra strength Tylenol in Sheridan, Wyoming. Hmm. It occurred a little over two months before the rest of the killings. Sheridan is a town on the way to Ted's cabin in Montana where he lived during the killings, so that's kind of why 
people speculate against, uh, towards him, I guess. Um, yeah. And I also, I guess that Ted had a thing for wood. Um, his victims had <laughs> connections to wood. Like, when I say that, it sounds so weird. But one victim was named Percy Woods from Lake Forest, Illinois. Another was the president of a California Forest Association, and Ted's bombs were also partially made of wood, and he would use return addresses and pseudonyms that had to do with wood. One example is that he was um, signing Frederick Benjamin Isaac Wood, and the return address was 549 Wood Street in Woodlake, California. Okay, I mean, just, like, stop. Right. No, I find something else. It sounds absolutely crazy. So all this matters, I guess, because two of the three founders of Johnson and Johnson have the middle name Wood. Okay, that's either it's such a a big coincidence. Coincidence. (laughs) I mean, but that's either honestly a huge coincidence or or he's a freak. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's entirely intentional, or it's just like people on Reddit need to chill. Mm -hmm. Like. You know, Um, but, you know, the one photo that authorities were able to capture, remember, like I said, the greeny picture of Paula Prince buying the Tylenol drugs? Yeah. Although it was not determined whether this was certainly the person responsible, um, FBI serial killer profiler John Douglas did state that the FBI considered the person in the video to be a prime suspect. At the time, that they didn't really know if the per they thought that the person was James Lewis. Okay. Um, he also had like this bushy beard. However, people also believe that the man in the picture could have been Ted Kaczynski. So where is the man in the picture? I know. Like, I would is that love all to they like. Into, so like they think? that's, I mean they don't have. I'm I'm wondering if like the picture's so grainy that they can't do facial recognition now with our technology. Yeah. I don't know, honestly. The FBI office in Chicago, however, requested a DNA sample from Ted. And Ted said, quote, The officers said that the FBI was prepared to get a court order to compel me to provide the DNA sample, but wanted to know whether I would provide the sample voluntarily. Like, as you know, he is this math whiz... And he was apparently willing to provide the sample, but he had this one condition. He said that the courts should not allow the United States Marshal Service to conduct an auction of his belongings. He said basically, and you know, he knows this because he's very... Went to Harvard at 16. He's very smart. He said basically that partial DNA profiles could throw suspicions on innocent people. Like, it could say that you have... Like, 3% of the population might have the same profile for this if it's a partial profile, so it could link you to being the killer even if it's not you, you know? I mean, the odds are small, but he wasn't going to take his chances, I guess. So, he said the stuff in his cabin would be crucial in proving that he never owned potassium cyanide, which I kind of, like, am very baffled by because it's like, I there's nothing in my apartment that would prove I've never owned potassium cyanide. Like, how do you prove that? Yeah. Like, okay, he threw it away. I don't... Like an anti-chemistry book? No one's gonna... Like, I would never be... If the police were like, hey, Helen, did you do the Tylenol murders? I would never be able to be like, check my apartment. There's proof that I've never owned cyanide. Right? Like, where? I'd be or like, what's the check proof? my apartment. You're gonna find a bunch of tissues and wine. 
Yeah, I, maybe I would be like, check my apartment because clearly I'm weak. Yeah. And I cannot do something like that. <laughs> but honestly, like, I wouldn't even know what proof would be considered. Like, not. what would they be looking for to be like, yeah, this guy's never owned potassium cyanide. Yeah. I There's don't get ju- it. I don't get, honestly. But maybe that's why we didn't go to Harvard at 16. Exactly. I know Harvard didn't give me any scholarships, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, Another semi-important suspect is Roger Arnold. He said some sus stuff at a bar one night about the (laughs) Tylenol murders. (laughs) Um, Roger worked at a jewel warehouse with Mary Reiner, who is one of the victims, her father. Um, And also Adam Janice, another victim, bought his Tylenol from a jewel store. Um, Mary Reiner's store that she bought the pills from was just across the street from Roger's wife's psychiatric ward. He also had crime manuals, like how-to stuff, and equipment for the pills at home. However, once tested, the material that he had actually was potassium carbonate and not cyanide. He then refused a lie detector test, and but, like, at the end of the day, they kind of never had enough evidence on him anyway. Yeah. But, like, the weird thing is, um, about a year later, um, Roger shot John Stanisha, a random man, under the impression that he had turned in Roger into the police for his suspicious comments that night at the bar. Turns out it wasn't even him... And anyway, this guy ends up being cleared for the Tylenol murder, but he did get sentenced to 30 years for killing that man in the bar. By Monday, October 25th, authorities ended up reducing the Tylenol task force to from 115 to about 40 investigators. 30 years later, this case still is unsolved. However, the FBI is helping to coordinate a reinvestigation, or a continuing investigation, of the 1982 Tylenol poisonings. According to Rorden Rice, a special agent in FBI's Chicago office, if evidence is developed which links a person or persons to that crime, they will in all likelihood be charged with violating state murder statutes in DuPage and or Cook counties. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod. Twitter at the Chalkline Pod. And you can check out our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.